But I want to ask you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew as we see who Jesus is and what it means to follow him as a disciple. Today we'll look at our passage of scripture a little bit at a time instead of reading it all at once. We'll begin reading in a minute in Matthew chapter 9 verse 18. This week I felt kind of surrounded by death. Um, My friend Josh just did a funeral for his grandma. My friend Jill, our sister Jill, her mom just passed away a couple days ago. I'm traveling out to see some family tomorrow because of a funeral for my cousin's mom. My cousin is younger than me. His mom and his dad have both passed away already at this point in his life. Of course, these are just a few examples of death. Just a few. Some of you know the weight of grief far more deeply than I do. Especially when you remember loved ones who have passed away. I felt surrounded By death, and I felt a little bit more clearly the seriousness of the enemy that death represents. The Bible storyline tells us that death is the result of sin. It's not the way things are supposed to be, if you will. We hate death. Because death truly is an enemy. And feeling the nearness of death just a little more clearly recently has led me to feel even more deeply how glad I am that Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, says, all authority has been given to me. And it leaves me grateful to know that when he says, all authority has been given to me, that includes authority over life and death. In Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, we've seen this issue of the authority of Jesus over and over and over again. It includes his authority over the wind and the waves. His authority over demons and the spiritual world. His authority over sickness. It includes his authority to forgive sins. But in today's passage, we see in a specific way that when Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, 
He says that as the Lord of life. Who has all authority over life and death. We'll watch today's passage unfold kind of in three scenes or three movements or three acts. The first act puts us in contact with a grieving dad. Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. While he, Jesus, was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Jesus meets a grieving dad. This grieving dad is a respected fellow in his community. He's described here as a ruler, signifying the fact that he's a ruler in his local synagogue, kind of like a lay elder in a church today, a respected and revered individual in his community. The books of Mark and Luke tell us a little bit more detail about everything that we'll read in this passage today. They tell us that this ruler's name is Jairus. But something interesting happens right away in the development of this story. A synagogue ruler, somebody who is respected within his synagogue, comes and kneels at the feet of Jesus. Maybe this synagogue ruler had admired the teaching of Jesus from the very first time he heard about Jesus. Or just as likely, perhaps he had opposed the teaching of Jesus. But now he realizes in the death of his daughter, in this tragedy of tragedies that strikes about as deep As anything could strike, maybe in this moment of personal crisis, he realizes he has no options left. We don't know exactly what leads Jairus to Jesus, but here's what we know. In his moment of grief, he goes to Jesus. In his moment of grief, he kneels before Jesus, asking Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. And for a moment, all seems well. Jesus gets up agreeing to follow this synagogue ruler back to his household. For a moment, All seems well. I don't want to dwell on it for too long, but the example of this dad teaches us at least something. 
You know, narratives in the Bible, stories in the Bible don't give us Ikea directions for how to live life as a disciple of Jesus. The stories, the narratives that we have in our Bibles, they don't give us just do this and then do this and then do this. But very often in the actions of the characters and in the experiences of the characters, we learn something from them. As the Apostle Paul would say about narratives in the Old Testament, these were written for your instruction. And as we observe this grieving dad, we notice that this grieving dad discovers hope through his faith in Jesus. We see a picture or a model of what it looks like in our own moments of grief, whether we've respected Jesus in the past or whether we've opposed Jesus in the past and we simply know we've got nowhere else to go in our moment of grief. This passage gives us a picture of what it looks like to find hope in Jesus, simply going to him in our hour of need, kneeling before him. For a moment, all seems to be well. Jesus is following. But then, all of a sudden, there's an interruption to Jairus' plan. Jesus' ways are not our ways. His timing is not always our timing. And so while this grieving dad discovers hope through faith in Jesus, very quickly before he gets what he's asking for, there's an interruption in the storyline. Look with me, if you would, at verse 20. Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Verse 20, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years, came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. We'll pause there for a moment. Now we come to act two. Scene two, movement two, in which Jesus meets a weary woman. She's been dealing with a discharge of blood for 12 years. I wonder where you were a decade ago in your life. I wonder what was going on in your life 12 years ago. For more than a decade, her reproductive health was not working in a healthy manner. You say, well, then why didn't she just go to the doctor? She did go to the doctor. Which I would totally recommend in such a scenario. But, sometimes this is true today, 2,000 years later, physicians can only do so much. 
Sometimes physicians miss the diagnosis. Sometimes physicians try their best and still can't provide the results that we hope for. And I want to say with some degree of sensitivity, some of you know all too well what that is like. In this woman's case, she spent a great deal of money on physicians who delivered no true healing and who only deepened her sorrow. The blood continued. The stains continued. The weariness grew deeper. But this wearying health condition was not only a problem physically for her. Her problem also had wearying social consequences. You see, the law of Moses, Leviticus chapter 15, it goes into great details explaining that when a man has an unintended discharge of semen, Or when a woman has a discharge of blood in the old covenant system of worship, such a person in the old covenant community would be considered unclean for ritual purposes. In fact, if someone touches accidentally or otherwise a person... In such a situation, they would also have been considered unclean for the purposes of ritual worship as well. Which means that for more than 10 years, this woman would not have been ritually pure in order to participate in temple worship. For 10 years, if someone else comes into contact with her hand... Even accidentally, they would have felt unclean because of that contact. For ten years, this woman has been living with a wearying medical condition. And for ten years, she's been feeling the full weight of exclusion from the temple. For more than ten years, she's been feeling the shame of being kind of untouchable to other people in her community around her. And all of this explains why Matthew chapter 9 verse 20 says that she she came from behind Jesus. You get what's going on here, right? She wanted to be healed, but she didn't want to be noticed. And who could blame her? She hoped for healing, but she didn't want the attention of everybody's judgmental eyes looking at her. She hoped that her condition could be dealt with, but she didn't want other people to look down on her with shame. She had hopes and plans to be healed without being noticed. 
And she reaches out her hand. And she touches the edge of Jesus' garment. And just as Jesus interrupted the plans of the grieving dad, so Jesus now interrupts the plans of this weary woman. She wanted to be healed without being noticed. And praise God, she will be healed. But look at what happens in addition to physical healing. Look with me, if you would, at verse 22. Jesus turned. And seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When she touches Jesus, something something happens that kind of explodes the ceremonial regulations of Leviticus. Instead of her blood making him unclean, his holiness makes her well. According to verse 22, she is made well and made well instantly. Twelve years of suffering done. And when she touches Jesus, the law of Moses might lead us to believe that both of them will now be excluded from the presence of God in the temple. But then something unexpected happens. Instead, when she reaches out to Jesus by faith, rather than being excluded from the presence of God, when she reaches out to Jesus by faith, both of them are now included in the family of God's. Do you see what Jesus says in verse 22? Look, Jesus turns toward her and he sees her. He does not see her with the eyes of judgment. He does not look at her with the eyes that are meant to shame. He does not speak to her words of exclusion and distance. No, Jesus turns and he sees her and he speaks these profoundly encouraging words. Take heart. And how does he address her? He addresses her as a member of the family of God. Take heart, daughter. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And he commends her faith. He commends her belief that Jesus could do more than any of the physicians had been able to do for her. What do we see here? In this woman's experience in the presence of Jesus. See this weary woman discovers more than she had dared to ask. Through her faith in Jesus. By faith. She found healing for the stains of the past. But she also found a place of honor. In the family of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. 
as this woman so long suffering, this woman who for so long had been excluded, this woman who for so long had learned to look with her eyes down to avoid eye contact, she finds healing. And not only healing for her body, she finds a new place in the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Now we come to the third scene or the third act in this story. It begins in verse 23. Now the scene shifts again. Remember how this whole thing started. There was a grieving dad who was concerned about his daughter. And then there was this interruption. But verse 23. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players, they're professional funeral musicians, if you will. They're not playing happy little ditties in their culture, in their place, and in their time. Even the poorest people in Israel would hire at least two flute players to come and play grieving music when a family member passed away. When Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw flute players and saw the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away. What? Jesus doesn't do the things we expect him to do, does he? Go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Now we come to act three as Jesus meets a sleeping girl. Jesus walks into a house with a girl who is dead. Not mostly dead, all dead. And there are funeral musicians. Professional death people are there. That means they know death when they see it. Jesus tells everybody that the girl is only sleeping and they laugh. Perhaps we sympathize with those who are laughing because we think to ourselves, Jesus, what a heartless thing to say. But keep in mind that this is the same Jesus who raged at the grave of Lazarus. He has not come to make light of death. When he says that she is only sleeping, he's not minimizing the grief of her death. But he is redefining the meaning of her death. He calls the mother and the father to follow him and some of his disciples inside the house. And then Jesus takes the girl's hand and something unexpected happens again. You see, in the law of Moses, if someone comes into contact with a corpse, he's supposed to be ritually 
were ceremonially unclean for seven days. It's the strictest penalty of uncleanness in the law of Moses. Coming into contact with a corpse is supposed to make somebody unclean. But as in the previous miracle related to a woman's blood, blood representing life flowing out of her. As in the previous miracle, Jesus radiates life in such a way that he shatters the regulations for ceremonial purity in a fallen world. When he takes her hand, instead of her death making him unclean, his holiness makes her alive. According to Mark chapter 5, verse 41, Jesus takes this girl's hand and he says to her in Aramaic, Talitha kumi. This means, my dear child, my girl, arise. He uses a term of endearment like a dad waking up his beloved daughter for the day ahead. My sweet little girl, it's time to rise and shine. The word of Jesus, that's exactly what she does. When Jesus takes her by the hand, she rises in new life on the other side of death. Now, to be sure, this is not the final resurrection in glory for this girl. She would face death again. Otherwise, she'd be out there talking to us today. This is not the final resurrection in glory that we too still wait for. There still is more resurrection to come. But when Jesus takes her by the hand, she experiences a taste of this gospel gift. She experiences a taste of new life beyond the reach of death. New life beyond the power of death. Life out from the grip of death. This week I tracked down a line from a book by Tim Keller which says, if Jesus has you by the hand, then even death is nothing but sleep. Inspired by the testimony of one of our friends that I heard just a few minutes ago, I want to observe I want us to observe what had this girl done for Jesus? Nothing. She was dead. But Jesus, being rich in mercy, made her alive together with him.
when I heard the news that my friend Jill's mom was declining in health, I expressed my grief and we had a few different conversations together. I gave her some space. Most of us need space to grieve. But at some point, I also told her that I'd been paying attention to this passage in Scripture this week. And I shared with her that quote from Tim Keller. If Jesus has you by the hand, then even death is nothing but sleep. And I told my friend Jill, if Jesus has your mom by the hand, and I'm sure that he does, then in the last analysis, death will be no more dangerous for her than a night of sleep. And soon, it will be time for her to wake up. And since then, she has heard the voice of Jesus calling first her spirit, rise and shine, little girl. And one day, all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though we may die, we will hear his voice calling out, my daughter, my son. My beloved, it's time to rise and shine forevermore. And we will rise together with him. And as 1 Thessalonians 4:17 says, we will be with the Lord forever. This passage concludes with a growing cloud of witnesses. We find in this passage a grieving dad who can testify that he found hope by faith in Jesus Christ. And in this passage we find the testimony of a weary woman who can testify that she found a new lease on life. She found not only physical health, but more than she dared to ask for. She found a family in which she truly belonged by faith in Jesus Christ. In this passage, we meet a sleeping girl who can testify, I was once dead, but now I'm alive. All because of Jesus and His rich mercy. And as this passage concludes, Matthew gives us, I think with a little bit of a grin, this reminder and the report of this went through all the district. There's a growing cloud of witnesses. A growing cloud of witnesses that would only increase in number after our Lord Jesus Christ went into death itself and came out with the keys. You know what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 1? Behold, I am the living one who died and rose again and I have the keys to death and Hades. 
cloud of witnesses who testify to having found life together with the Lord of life, Jesus Christ. It continues to grow and grow and grow as the centuries go by. And what do we do with this passage of Scripture? First of all, I want to invite you to believe the testimony that Jesus is the Lord of life. And secondly, if you have believed the testimony that Jesus truly is the Lord of life, I want to invite you in light of these testimonies to encourage each other with the good news that Jesus is the Lord of life. Later on in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul is writing to a church and talking about the reality of the fact that believers do die, and yet we will be raised, and yet we will be with the Lord forever, Paul adds two different times in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5. He says, encourage each other with these words. Which is not just to say, you know, walk around after church and say, gee, that's a really cool sweater you're wearing today. Encourage each other with this good news. He has the keys to death in Hades. He really has conquered our enemy. I want to encourage you to believe these testimonies that Jesus is the Lord of life. And I want to encourage you to keep on reminding each other of this good news. That He is the Lord of life with all authority over life and death. You know, we need that encouragement, don't we? Across the years and around the world, Christians who know Jesus Christ have discovered the fact that it's possible to know Jesus and it's possible to memorize the Bible verses and yet it's possible to still feel all of the, all of the fears of life after death. To feel all of the worries and insecurities. And you know how God's Spirit meets us? Well, in a lot of ways. But one of the main ways that God's Spirit meets that fear in our lives, how? Encourage one another with these words. Keep telling each other and reminding each other of the good news that Jesus Christ went into death and defeated it and came out alive with life for all who believe in Him. Keep on encouraging each other with these words. Jesus is the Lord of life. And there is hope to be found today in Him. In fact, some of the most precious words of our catechisms speak exactly to this aspect of the good news of Jesus Christ, that He is the Lord of life. Heidelberg Catechism, written about 500 years ago. Heidelberg Catechism begins with this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What's your only comfort? 
when everything else fails and you've got nothing left to lean on, what's your only true comfort? The great cloud of witnesses remembers along with us this answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own. But I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that Without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Jesus is the Lord of life. Like a grieving dad, I want to encourage you to go to Jesus. Find hope in Him. Like a weary woman, I want to encourage you to reach out to Jesus. Knowing now that the Lord of life will give you even more than you dare to, dare to ask. And like a sleeping girl whose testimony is, I was once dead, but now I'm alive. I want to invite you and encourage you to join in singing the praises of the Lord of life who conquered the grave on our behalf, knowing full well that if He has you by the hand, even death is no more dangerous than a good night of sleep. And one day soon enough, we'll each hear His voice crying out, My daughter, my beloved girl, my beloved son, rise and shine forevermore.